This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's lifestyle demands the best in wireless. And with Pulse Cellular, you have the best options available. Switch to Pulse Cellular for unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data. Coast-to-coast with no contracts, no credit checks, and no overage fees. One line for $65 or four lines for just $45 each, including hotspot, Wi-Fi calling, and 50 gigs per line. And for all you travelers, we got you covered in Canada and Mexico. Plus, text and data in over 210 countries worldwide. All with the best phones or bring your own that's pretty awesome get the best user experience on mobile at pulsecellular.com if you're a loser tune in and you'll be a winner it's the moranalytics podcast talking buffalo sports yankees wwe 80s music and pop culture and now here's your host patrick moran All right, podcast fans, what's going on? How you doing? What's up? Welcome to episode 151 of the Moranalytics podcast, presented once again today by our friends over at Pulse Cellular. By the way, if you go to PulseCellular.com and you sign up for any data plan using promo code Moran, you're going to get 10% off that plan each and every single month. It's an incredible deal, so go check that out. Today is Tuesday, September 10th, 2019. Thank you to everyone, as always, for listening and for downloading. If you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead and do that right now. We're pretty much on every major platform that future award-winning podcasts are found on. Coming up on today's podcast, you know, for those who have been down with this pod from day one, going back a little old school today, Going to have one of my best friends, Tone Pucks. He's going to be in the house with me for a very long overdue Pat with Pucks edition of the Moranalytics podcast. You know, when this pod first started, we used to have Pat with Pucks segments that I had with Tone all the time, or at least nearly all the time. But you know how it goes, man. Things happen. Life gets in the way. The segments have become much more sporadic now. In fact, Today will be just the fourth time since February that I've actually had him on this podcast, but they're always fun. Very much. I look forward to them. Obviously, it's all about the Buffalo Bills today. Very interesting opening Sunday, up and down all over the place. And of course, what matters most, do hook or crook, the Bills leave New Jersey. I refuse to say New York. The Bills leave New Jersey with a one-point victory over a divisional rival, the Jets. Tony and I deep dive in a certain facets of the game and the Bills spend plenty of time semi-disagreeing about Josh Allen's well-publicized role and having four first-half turnovers over their first six possessions, including a pick six by C.J. Mosley. We discuss the emergence of John Brown as the team's big playmaker. Brian DeBall's curious decision 
to open with 17 straight passing plays. Maybe pumping the brakes just a little bit, by the way, on Devin Singletary's big second half. We talk about the effect that C.J. Mosley going out of the game for the Jets had on the Bills. Uh, we talk about how we felt with Frank Gore out there to close the game out for the Bills, carrying the football, and of course, plenty of discussion on a defense that well, legitimately looks as good or even better than advertised. And they were advertised to be good. I think they might even be better than just good. Calling them good almost feels like you're being short-sighted with the Bills defense. Anyway, we hit on, and you know what? By the way, the best part of this defense, and that I love this, man, and we talk about this. It's not anchored by any one superstar player, at least not yet anyway. There's a collection of good players on this defense. And before we end Bill's talk, we also, and I'm admitting it here, possibly jump in the gun, very possibly jump in the gun, but we go ahead and we're going to try to find our way to 10 Buffalo Bills wins this season by going through the schedule and coming up with what we think needs to happen for the Bills to get to 10 wins. Also spend a little time talking about some team and topics around the NFL. Here's a spoiler alert, by the way, too. Tone is a final take. We call it the puck drop. And this is on the Bills, the way Brandon Bean's building his team, that I absolutely, positively promise to any Buffalo Bills fan out there listening right now, that alone is worth listening to this entire episode just for his final puck drop. That alone. It's that strong. I'm sure you're going to like it. Quickly, by the way, and then we're going to deep dive in again because it's a long football segment. I like mixing it up on this podcast. I try to have as many different guests on as possible from all different venues. From time to time, I'm fortunate enough to pull some of the heavy hitters from the sports media, especially the Buffalo sports media. And I know that on the downside as a result of that, when you get guys like Joe B and Tim Graham and Eric Wood and Jay Skursky, et cetera, on this podcast, that when you have somebody that doesn't have that name recognition, it's easy for listeners to kind of blow it off. But let me say this, okay, right here and right now, and I'm very much me when I'm saying here. When I have a guest on like Tone Pucks, just like I say when I have Jeff Boyd on the podcast with me doing Buffalo Sabres stuff, the takes and the insight that these guys have is bar none, and I mean this, bar none as good as anyone, legit as good as anyone out there. I typically try to stray from episodes filled with Buffalo Bills talk only because I feel like there's a million Bills podcasts already out there. But I'll tell you what, no disrespect to any of them. I enjoy them all. I listen to most of them. But I'll tell you, man, as a guest, his insight, his takes, I'll put Tone Pucks up against anyone, man. I really mean that. So anyway, on that note, it's good Bills content today coming down the shoot for you. In fact, right now, let's get it going. Here it is. Another edition of Pat with Pucks. Let's do it. Pat with Pucks. Are you a big man? Pop! I'm talking to you. What? You wake up in the morning, you say, I put on my big boy pants. Look, I'm wearing a belt. I got big boy pants on. <laughs> oh my God, that is funny. Okay, do not worry. All of your questions are about to be answered. Cell phones and pagers off, please. All right, I am joined right now by my longtime buddy, Tone Pucks, a little bit of Pat with Pucks. Yo, man, this is a segment that's become almost a, a special attraction on this podcast instead of a regular thing. My 
extensive research department tells me, and this is actually the first pad with Puck since June 18th and only the fourth time that you've been on since February. Quite a change from the good old days, man. You've uh, become kind of a recluse. What's going on? Not much. <laughs> well, what, do you want, what, do you, what do you want from me? You're, you're, you're censoring me. You're, you're, you know, I got I to keep my answers to like seven seconds. <laughs> that is really, well, that's, that's, uh, that, that, that's interesting. It has been a while. It's uh, most of the summer and like four times since February. I, I like being uh, more of an attraction uh, like this. This is good. Well, we're off to a great start. For those who have been down, for the handful of you out there who have been down since day one of the Moranalytics podcast, telling you were on for this Pat with Puck segment that we do for the first, I'm looking it up, first six episodes that we did, and you were regular almost weekly for the first 50 or so episodes. But that was all before the fame and fortune got to your head, man. It kind of took a turn for you, man. A little fame and fortune, a little too much for you to handle, isn't it? It is. It is. I'm. I'm actually in demand. Uh, you know, across the podcast uh, universe here. You know, I'm laughing on the outside, but reality is, I'm kind of dying on the inside a little bit. I'm in a shitty mood. Even though the Bills won on Sunday, I should be in a good mood, but I'm not. My fantasy baseball team playoff run, and by playoff run, I mean losing in the first round, the quarterfinals. It's already done. Season over. Most annoying fashion ever. Played a dude who had the biggest. Pitching horseshoe I've ever seen in my life. Not going to get into all the details because it's long drawn out. Frankly, I don't think listeners care much. But long story short, need to get to six points out of 11 to wrap it up. And I had five locked down. Had a lead in two other ones going into the last day. And uh, I I don't even know what to say right now, okay? This guy has four pitchers who start and all four of them get wins. He has 37 strikeouts between the four. Long story short, I end up losing... Sick to my stomach over it. Um, I know you're not. Oh. I know you're not feeling any sympathy for me, but whatever. Like I like I told you. All right, if you want to avoid stuff like that, you you win your division. You get yourself a bye week, like like the Kielbasa kids had, and you don't worry about you know some sort of horseshoe uh, up the ass week like your opponent had. But I'll tell you this, for and believe me, I could I could do it all day because for as much as you're disgusted is easily as much satisfaction and glee as I'm feeling by your early exit. But I'm already like anticipating the Facebook message from you in like a few hours that says, yo, man, I I just killed that fantasy baseball thing at the top. People ain't tuning in to listen to that. They're going to want to hear about the bills. and (laughs) shit. It's gone. So that's gone. That's gone. You suck. Leave leave that in. Leave this in. You suck at fantasy baseball since you started this podcast. And I love it. You know, I get, you know, I get my confidence back. I put videos of my kid getting sacks um high school football games on Twitter. Yeah, there you that's that's how we <laughs> I trust me, I gain some and lose some that exact same way. But I'll tell you, I uh, I did not see the um oh, the full video compilation that included the uh the six tackles that somehow or another you didn't remember when you first recapped this game, which I think is terrible parenting. Um <laughs> But uh, the the sack move was nice, man. I mean, the sack move was an inside move against you know what looked to be a uh, you know pretty big boy out there on the edge, uh, assuming it was the tackle, not the end. 
And um, yeah, and Shaner just uh, the guy grabbed air, man. Shaner just went to the inside of him, and and that is a highlight uh, worth keeping. That was no cheapie as far as sacks are concerned. He uh, he worked for that sack, and and it was a move that uh, that was necessary because the guy probably had you know fifty pounds on him or so, so he had to beat him with technique and yeah it was a good one man that was a good that should be a proud moment it was for sure and not only was it his first varsity sack but later that game and I also put a video up for that he also had his first uh varsity interception in the third quarter which was fun and I'm also look I'm careful first of all I don't want to float my own son's eagle too much because you know I could also just as easily take a couple clips from the game on YouTube and show where that right tackle got his paws on him and drove him into the ground about 20 yards down the field. You know what I'm saying? It was just, it was a good night. It was a lot of fun for me personally, and I'm sure even more so for him because it's been a tough couple weeks in the opening week, as you know, and a lot of people listening to the podcast know, got a really big injury scare, took a knee to the side of the head. His jaw kind of knocked him out momentarily. And uh, so he left that first game on a stretcher. Fortunately, it was more precautionary than anything. And then last week, in large part because of that, they were very slow and cautious with him even after he passed protocol and all that. And he only played a couple snaps, which kind of sucked. So to see him back out there starting and making impact plays to help his team get a win, for sure, it was a lot of fun. And I'll tell you, man, you know, I know you're a football guy, and I say this all the time, but you really need to get down here and check out high school football in Florida. It is just flat out, I mean, there's no other way to say it. It's just, a different level than what you and I and most people who listen to this from the Buffalo area are used to seeing in Western New York, just completely different worlds with high school football. Now I talk about getting down there and whatnot, but uh, you know me, I I never will, (laughs) but I would like to see it. I I mean, I, I can get caught up in, you know, the, the excitement of a, uh, of a game up here and I do know that, um, you know, that it's far different uh, down there just in terms of, you know, the atmosphere, the state, the, the, the crowd. I mean, you know, that would uh, that would be a lot of fun. To, there'd be a lot of pressure to referee. And though I'll tell you that, man, that would that would uh, that would take some some thick skin to uh, to put the stripes on down there. You'd be fine as an official, but you are right. The atmosphere and everything down here that goes into high school football, it really is just on another level. I'm sure Texas is the same. Like the TV shows and the movies that you see, Friday Night Lights, how big it is on the screen. That's the way it is in real life down here in Florida. The athletes are just, they're just different down here. They're better athletes. I mean, there's no other way to say it. They play football year round. You know, my son came down from Buffalo. It took him a couple of years to really finally get adjusted to the speed and athleticism and just the way they play football down here. And there's many good athletes in Buffalo that couldn't compete down in Florida right now, but had they come down here and with a couple of years of training and seeing how it works, being a year round sport down here, I'm sure they would be very good players as well. Like I said, just the talent is on another level and it's just a lot of fun. If you're a football fan, high school football at the highest level, it's just a lot of fun to watch. Uh, it's uh, it's got to be fun to be a part of, man. It's got to be fun to be a part of. Yeah. All right. Anyway, let's talk Bills here. We're getting a little bit too off track here. Improbable victory on the road against the Jets. Start the season off. They win 17-16. I say improbable, by the way, because they committed four turnovers in the first half, yet they're still able to hang around 
improbable because the Jets had a 16-0 lead late into the third quarter. Let's do a little scale thing here. Scale 1-10. How surprised are you that we're talking about a victory here as we tape this on Monday based on what you saw over the first two and a half quarters? Oh, eight. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll go into greater detail as as we get going, but um, I I don't know what an eight, how an eight would compare to other people's surprise necessarily. Um, but I didn't I didn't love us going into the game, but I didn't hate the spot that we were in when we fell behind. Now that isn't necessarily true of sixteen nothing. At 16, 16 nothing, I I was done. All right. I thought we were done. But at no point did they ever look like they couldn't move to football. Right. Uh so you know, the field goal that got you to 16-3 happened pretty quick after the Jets went up 16-0. So, you know, by virtue of that, I, I probably only had the the span of, you know, 16 nothing to 16-3, however long that was, probably only about 10 to 15 minutes in, in real time because it wasn't much at all in game time. That was probably, you know, the, the lowest point of expecting to win. So overall, an 8 out of 10. What, what What's yours? Like, how shocked were you? Uh, Maybe a little bit higher, 8.5. I'd yeah. say 8.5. I, I thought it was over. They, it was just one of those, it was a road game. I think it's more because it was on the road. I just feel like teams that play bad on the road like that end up getting blown out. I'll say this, kind of unrelated though. I was in mid-season form by the end of the game. It's only the opener, only one of 16. And I really wanted this game bad because these first three games, and we're going to talk about that more in a little bit as well. But to me, they're just so important. I was like almost in that, again, mid-season form. I was like hyperventilating on that Jets last drive, hoping the D for Buffalo can make, of course they did, make that one last stop. But I was clearly in very like mid-season form. I'd say about an eight and a half. Josh Allen, dude, I mean, ugh. we could have the same conversation every single week because I think he's going to do some things that make you scratch your head and he's going to do some things that make your jaw drop. And it's just the way, he's it's, it's the kind of quarterback that he is. His stats on paper look pretty good in the first half. If you only, if you didn't watch the game, and you look at the passing numbers, 15 to 23 for 141 in the first half. That's not terrible, but he did have two interceptions and he lost two fumbles. How much of those are on him? We could debate and, and we will a little bit. And he also, by the way, had a third interception that I believe was got called back because of a holding penalty on a defensive uh, or hand to the face or something like that. That really didn't have much effect on the play. So in reality, it should have been three interceptions in the first half and five turnovers. That, you know, in 30 minutes, your, your quarterback on the road, that, that should lose a game. In a way, it's like, it's a good thing we played the Jets. Would you agree on that? Yeah, but I, I don't know that, uh, well, we don't really know what the Jets are quite yet. And, you know, there's probably, there's probably some other teams on the, on the schedule in the league or whatever that, um, that the defense could have, could have kept at bay uh, in overcoming those turnovers a little bit. You know, I, I assume that's what you're alluding to, that, uh, you know, that they weren't able to, um, you know, to capitalize on those turnovers. But here's the thing with with Allen and the and the picks and, and everything else. And, and I can, you know, kind of tie this in to why I was an eight out of 10, maybe in terms of 
of my surprise. I I always go back to the Green Bay game last year on the road, okay? When people want to talk about bad Josh, that to me was like was bad Josh Allen, okay? That was a guy that that was deer in the headlights. It got to two scores and we weren't winning that football game. I didn't feel the least bit in it. We didn't move it at all. I mean, we just the, the offense was completely paralyzed by the play of the quarterback. It never felt like that yesterday. They moved it, they moved it, they moved it, and then and I'm not going to call this bad luck, you know, or bad bounce or anything like that. You know, they were they were bad plays, uh bad throws and and some good fortune uh on on the one that that came back. But it never came at the expense of, you know, these constant three and outs, three and outs, three and outs. And that always kept me feeling like we were in this game. And that, to me, is is a good and fair indicator of what those stats looked like and why, besides the turnovers, they didn't look that terrible. Because in my estimation, I wasn't ready. Even had the game played out the way it was going, I wasn't ready to, to call for the kid's head. I thought he played a, an uneven game, but one that showed progress from last year when at times he just held the whole team back. That wasn't happening yesterday. The ball was moving, and uh, he, he's, he's got to fix a, a couple things. But, you know, the, the offense looked like a legitimate NFL offense for the first time in a long time. Well, four turnovers in one half of football is extreme. I'm not saying that we can expect that going forward every week, but do you feel like this is the Josh Allen that we're going to see for a long time to come? A guy who can move the ball, who can make plays, but at the same time, a guy who's very prone and how much of it is his fault? Well, we'll talk about that in a second, but a guy who's very prone to turnovers, man, making big mistakes. You know, there's a difference between throwing a ball away and punting it on third and eight, and there's a difference between trying to force something that turns into an interception. You know what I'm talking about. Somebody who's turnover prone. Do you feel like this is the Josh Allen? Sure. Maybe the stats will go up a little bit. His completion percentage will be a little bit better, even though it was perfectly fine against the Jets. But he's a very, you said that you said it yourself, an uneven quarterback. Is this the Josh Allen that not just this game, just basically period that Bills fans should expect to see? This year, on the road, yes. I think what you got yesterday, all right, um, might even pass by the time all is said and done <laughs> as a good Josh Allen road game. Look, playing quarterback on the road in the NFL, especially as a young player, is very difficult to do. All sure. right. I mean, that's that's why in my prediction yesterday, uh, it was about, you know, Allen on the road and my trust level with him, you know, on the road. And I thought he played okay yesterday, well enough to win. I mean, yes, the defense is the one who won the game, but Allen had to make some plays, and he did that. And, 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 you know, when it counted, and despite the uneven performance, if I get that Josh Allen on the road, minus the four turnovers, I'm not going to say, you know, maybe three for the game or something like that, which many people would consider excessive. But I'll I'll just say I'll say that if if I get that type of Josh Allen uh, on the road game, then that's that's about what I'm what I'm expecting this year. That to me, that looked like a second year quarterback who made some progress, 
who is still prone to, uh, you know, to making mistakes, uh, especially on the road. That's that was a blueprint. Yeah. For me yesterday, that was a blueprint win as far as road games are concerned. You know, that's that's the blueprint year two Josh Allen that I expect. Four turnovers in the first half. Okay, the first one, he lost a fumble on a sack after Deion Dawkins badly missed a block. Who, by the way, off track here a little bit. I thought Deion Dawkins was awful in the first quarter, and then I thought he was actually fantastic over the last three. But anyway, that first turnover, he's got to keep the ball. I kind of put that on Allen. The second one, an INT off Cole Beasley. Should have been caught for sure, but it was a bad low throw on a pocket that was not collapsing. It was there. The pocket was there. It's not like it was a forced throw. It was just bad, and it was low, and it hit off, I believe, Beasley's hip pad and turned into a pick six. C.J. Mosley catches it. Pick six. Miss extra point. By the way, that Bedwick, yo, if you're a Jets, he ain't going to be in the, he ain't going to be on the Jets next week. But anyway, third turnover, a fumble, miscommunication. Him and Morris, that was on that fourth and one when they went for it. I really don't put that on him. I think that's more of Morse just not uh, being healthy during camp and preseason and them not having a lot of time together. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on that. And then the fourth one was an INT that got tipped out at the line. I don't know. I, I put that on Allen. I think that's a poor throw. How much of that would you say on a scale one to 100, okay, is bad luck and how much of it is, yo, that's Josh's fault. And here's another thing, too, that we haven't even discussed yet. Ryan DeBall, the Bills called a pass play the first 17 plays of the game. How much did that surprise you? That surprised the hell out of me. I didn't see that coming at all. Well, that ties right into what my answer would be in terms of how much I blame Josh Allen. And, you know, I'll have I'll have more of this uh, sort of way of thinking on the on the puck drop. But I am a believer that so many things in football, and this is the reason why I, I love football as, as much as I do, there's so many components to, you know, to some to a given play or a given drive or a given result. I mean, it's 11 on 11, man. And that doesn't even count. All right. The guy standing on the sideline and the X number in the booth. And, you know, there is a lot that goes in to, you know, the, the 15 minutes or whatever of actual gameplay that you that you see during the course of a uh, of a game. And, you know, Dayball's got to take a lot of responsibility for it because I didn't like the way that we opened up. I'm happy that we have the short or intermediate passing game maybe somewhat in our arsenal now this year with Cole Beasley and Allen starting to evolve a little bit in in that aspect of the passing game. But the bottom line is, you know, unless you can make a splash play on offense, unless you're someone that you can go out there and have like a, a four play 75 yard drive or whatever, you know, your margin for error is very slim. If you're going to go out there and throw like 17 straight five to 10 yard passes. All right. Yeah. Especially with a quarterback who struggles with accuracy a little bit, because all it takes is a little bit of inaccuracy for a throw that should be on the hands to go off a shoulder pad. And, you know, it's not sailing anymore, you know, 10 yards downfield on, on a 15 yard slant. This thing is is sailing right into a, a second level of linebackers, as exactly was the case with Beasley. So if you're if you've got a, a, an inaccurate quarterback or, or one that struggles 
with accuracy and is finding his way in year two. And you're throwing underneath the linebackers, man, those tips are, are they're, they're going to go the other way. Right. You know, they're, they're going to go the other way. There's a whole level of defenders behind him there. So, you know, that's why I would have liked to see some runs mixed in because, you know, the thing, things that could go wrong on a run play are, are, are far less than things that can go wrong on a, on a passing play. And I think they just played with fire, man. And they got to a point. You know, even on uh, the drive where Feliciano took the uh, took the unsportsmanlike and moved him out of field goal range. You know, they had really good first two drives there, um, or two out of three, something like that. The second drive may have been the Mosley pick, but they just, you know, they they got to a point where a, there was a small mistake, uh, just you know, a tipped ball, a missed block, or something like that. And you know, it's it's hard to string together. 10 and 12 play drives with a young quarterback throwing the ball underneath. All right. Who is, is still finding his way um, with his accuracy. I don't think that's a, a recipe for a whole lot of, uh, for a whole lot of success, you know, as, as the season moves on, I think, I think that ball's got to get downfield. I think there needs to be runs mixed in. And I think the short to intermediate passing game will be um, really nice to have this year, but no way in hell should it be the number one option for this offense. You need a ridiculously accurate quarterback to put those balls in good running position, um, you know, like a Tom Brady or whatever. And, uh, and, and that's how you thrive in a short to intermediate passing game, trying to ask Josh Allen to run that offense 80% of the time or whatever. Um, I would expect more, you know, more miscues like like yesterday's with deflections and things of that nature. Well, I'll tell you why, man, whether you think that it's bad luck, whether it was Josh Allen, mental or physical mistakes, whether you think the play calling wasn't what it should have been. The one thing that's obvious is that no matter how you spin that, the Bills defense completely kept them in the game Four turnovers. Well, three times they turned it over where the defense had to go out there and make a stop. And the Jets still could only muster a 6 nothing lead. Bedbeck did miss badly, by the way, a field goal again. There's no way he's going to be in New York. But that aside, to only go down 6 nothing on a pick six at halftime on four turnovers, did it kind of feel like, what was your thoughts at halftime? Again, 6 nothing. you're obviously still on the scoreboard. You're very much into the game. But are you sitting there like, how the hell are we in this game? How is it not 21 or 24 nothing right now with these mistakes? Just real quick, somebody paid a fifth rounder for that Vedvik or whatever. All right. Somebody gave up a fifth rounder and then cut him. Matt Milano was a fifth rounder. That is just pissing away an asset right there. <laughs> That's terrible. I think it was Minnesota. I was not shocked to still be in the game. I just wasn't. You know, I I guess I just wasn't that surprised by um, the level of play that the defense, you know, put out. And, uh, you know, it's not like uh, aside from the Mosley uh, one, obviously, that turned immediately into points. Uh, it's not like we turned it over in, in, in the red zone um, or even on our, you know, uh, our side of the field uh, a, a couple of times. It just it, I wasn't shocked by the defense's ability to hold them off the board coming off the turnovers. I, I just wasn't. Well, I agree very much in the game, but I felt like that stretch near the beginning of the third quarter, I felt like 
All right, well, this isn't meant to be. The, the Jets get the ball to start the second half. The Bills force a three and out right away. The Jets punt it, but it gets down inside, I believe, the two-yard line. And then now I believe it was on first. It was. It was first down. Frank Gore gets tackled for a safety, which, by the way, controversial call. I know you got to take on that as an official. So they're down 8 nothing. about three minutes in. The Bills got to punt it away again, so the Jets get the ball back because of the free kick. And then they put together the one good drive that they had the entire game. They go nine plays, 60 yards, culminates in Darnelton and Le'Veon Bell on a swing pass. He beat Milano on that play for a nine-yard touchdown. Then he catches a two-point conversion pass. Saran Neal had no idea. He played that horribly. So it's 16-0 right there, okay? For all the feel-good at halftime, only being down 6-0, four turnovers, rolling down one score. Now it's 16-0. You're on the road. At that point, are you thinking we're headed towards a very ugly Bills opening loss? I mean, again, the offense, they haven't been atrocious, but they can't put any points on the board, and maybe the defense is finally demoralized from this. 16 nothing. You thinking it's over? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think the defense did suffer through that, you know, coming off the Gore safety, which was total garbage. And how the NFL did not have uh, a, a camera angle uh, opposite the side that they kept showing. I can't believe I cannot believe more wasn't made of that. But yeah, I think the defense was got. I think that was a point where the defense was demoralized, you know, when it got to eight nothing. And, you know, good field position coming off the off the free kick. And, and um, yeah, certainly reason to believe that it was it was over at that point. And that's why I do think, um, you know, the field goal drive that the Bills put together coming off that was important because I think it gave the defense a chance to say, all right, that's, you know, we have been moving the ball. Now we've put up, a, 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 you know, three points. Let's go get them a stop and, and see if they can make it a game. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah, Hoshka gets the Bills on the board, kicks a 43-yarder. For me, though, the turning point of the game, and I don't even think this should be a debate, without question, C.J. Mosley went out with a groin injury. When he was on the field, and I need to credit Sal Capaccio, by the way, for these numbers, Bills only had three points, and they were averaging 4.8 yards per play. Four turnovers, including his pick six that he had. Plus, he also, if you remember... I mean, it wasn't. It was good coverage because he knew where he needed to be. It's not like he he kind of deflected the ball more on his back. But Allen tried to throw a deep ball in the end zone. I believe it was a John Brown, but Mosley got a piece of it. It would have been a a score for Buffalo had he not made that play. But anyway, he goes out and every single thing changes for the Bills offensively after he leaves the field. I mean, you're going to agree that Mosley was the most dominant player out there before he got hurt, right? Sure. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I don't think they come back. If he's not out there, there's no way. Anyway, so they do get, they get back in within six points. Eight play, 85-yard drive. Finish off. Josh Allen hits, uh, actually, he ran it in for three yards. He had somebody wide open. I want to say it was Singletary. I was like, throw the ball! Then, But then he ended up running and scoring it anyway. And then they would take the lead for good on the next drive. Another, again, eight play, 80-yard drive on third and four. Allen threaded the needle. A 38-yard scoring play to John Brown. That was a beautiful throw, by the way. Tight pressure situation. Probably his best throw of the game for the, at that point, the biggest play of the game. So, yeah, C.J. Mosley goes out. The Bills have consecutive eight-play drives culminating in two touchdowns that go 80 and 85 yards, man. It was a money time for the Bills. And, like, I know as somebody who's been a Bills fan for many, many years, you might feel this way. I certainly did. I, I was reminded a lot of the days of Jim Kelly. 
And I'm not talking about the Jim Kelly running gun, lighting it up, throwing for 390 yards and four touchdowns. I'm talking about many Jim Kelly games where I thought he sucked for three quarters, but somehow, some way, they stayed in the game and he'd find a way to turn it up in the fourth quarter when it was winning time. You know what I'm saying? He put together that one or two drives that they would need to win the game. I kind of felt that was Josh Allen in the second half, or more specifically, in the fourth quarter. Didn't think too much of him. Up, uneven game, like you said, through three quarters, but there was nothing uneven about him in the fourth. He was freaking fantastic in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, he stretched the field a little bit more in the fourth quarter, and, and that goes along with you know some of what I didn't like in, in, in the first half. Um, you know, he had, he had a – I mean, he, he can make – a 15 yard in just look so effortless, so effortless. Sure. He had a ball to Zay Jones that I thought was, was terrific. You know, he, Zay was open, but not by a ton. He had to, you know, he had to put it kind of low on him and stuff like that. And I don't know, it might have, might've even been a third. I, I can't, I can't remember exactly, but you know, those are the kind of throws that, um, that I want to see, you know, most of the game, uh, as opposed to dinking and dunking. But, yeah, it, you know, they were forced to push the ball a little past, you know, the uh, the, the first level of uh, um, of the route tree. And I felt like that's when he was at his best. I just, you know, I, I don't really draw the comparison that you're drawing. I'm cool with it, you know. And it's not 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 because, you know, it's Kelly or whatever that I, I think, you know, people are overdoing it trying to draw – that comparison. I just don't think he sucked as bad as everybody thought he sucked in the first three quarters. I saw a quarter. I saw a quarterback do much of the same that he was doing in the first three quarters. And he just didn't make the mistake. All right. That snuffed out the drives that, you know, that was happening uh, certainly in, in the first half. He always looked comfortable. He looked comfortable all day to me. And I just wasn't shocked. All right. That he eventually found his way in the fourth, at least not as shocked as most. That's fair. And so I'm very clear here. People aren't accusing me of saying I'm comparing Josh Allen to Jim Kelly. That's not the case whatsoever. I was just talking about as a Bills fan growing up, remembering many games where I thought Kelly stunk and then he turned it up in crunch time. You also make a very good point because you don't think he played as bad in the first three quarters as many people did. But regardless, again, first three quarters society was eight of 10 for 102 yards in the fourth quarter. I thought he was fantastic. And of course, the big thing is, even after they took the lead, the Bills defense had to come through one more time and they did the job the rest of the way. They put a lot of pressure on Darnold, man. Four sacks. And this is a team last year, even though the defense was good, they didn't produce a lot of sacks, but they produced four on Sunday. Many other pressures. I thought the defense was outstanding across the board, which is not surprising. You know, every week, I think the offense is going to be a different story. Josh Allen plays good. He plays great. He plays terrible. It's going to be all over the place. I feel like this defense is just really consistently good. And they, they brought it, man. They went on the road. They played a a quarterback who's supposed to be better than Josh Allen. He was the third pick of the draft. It's his second year in the league now. And I thought they absolutely dominated the Jets offense. They kept Le'Veon Bell in check. I think he had 60 yards on 17 carries. Uh, They had six catches for 32 yards. Those are decent numbers, but that's one of the best running backs in the NFL. You know what I'm saying? He didn't do a yeah, lot, he, man. He, found he, found, he absolutely, man. And, and Bell found a lot of those yards, you know, on his own. He he broke some tackles and, sure. and turned, turned like two-yard gains into six-yard gains and stuff like that. And that's just, 
you know, that's that's a, a guy in his in his prime, you know, minus the rust or whatever, you know, who's going to go out and do that. I mean, shit, the, the first down that he got, you know, late in the game. And, and this had to have Bill's fans, you know, myself included, you know, pretty, pretty nervous. There wasn't a point in, in, in that drive that was more nerve wracking when than when they got a fresh set of downs. Uh, on that fourth down conversion when it looked like uh, Phillips had him wrapped up yeah. and he found a way to spin out and get the first down. You know, a lot of point being a lot of Bell's yards, you know, came that way because for the most part, the Bills defense had their way, you know, with the with the Jets offensive line and the pressures came from everywhere. Hughes had the pressure. You could see uh, Oliver making an impact in his very first game. Sure. There was pressure up the middle Trent Murphy looked pretty steady and and had some pressures. Shaq. And then Shaq and, awesome. yeah, Shaq, and, and then they dialed up the uh, you know, the blitz a couple times. The, you know, the one sack from Poyer. They got it from everywhere, man. And the fact that I don't know if you saw the snap counts today, but this is rare. All right. Milano and Edmonds both played 100% of the snaps. When you can keep two linebackers and cuz what do you normally see on third uh, you know, on a, on a third down, obvious passing down, one linebacker, six DBs. Right. But Milano can check a tight end, you know, and, and Milano can check a back. Man, not He didn't do it all, you know, that great at times against Bell, you know, yesterday. But, you know, being able to keep your, you, you know, your two core linebackers out there in obvious passing situations, that is going to be fun to watch in a few weeks against a team that loves to throw the ball in that intermediate area in uh in New England when uh when guys like Edmonds and Milano can uh you know can stay in those in those throwing lanes and those those crossing lanes and those slant lanes and oh man I just I'm I'm pumped for this defense. I mean I think people should be pretty pumped for for what they saw yesterday out of, out of the defense. It's just it's so rare to see. You just don't get it in today's NFL anymore. And I love defense, man. And everybody, you know, it's it's such a forgotten thing that I love the idea of, of potentially having one of the best in the NFL. There's no question about it. And my favorite thing about this defense right now is there's not any one quote unquote superstar player, at least not right now. Maybe Edmonds or Oliver become that guy. But as of right now, there's not a J.J. Watt. There's not an Aaron Donald on this defense. You run off four or five guys, Jordan Poyer. Uh, and then there's guys that like maybe didn't do too much this week. Not that they didn't play well. Let's say we like maybe Micah Hyde next week. He might make the big play. There's just a bunch of guys on this team capable of making an impact on defense. And for that, that's the reason why I'm really sold on them. It's not like they got one or two superstar players. And if that guy goes down, the defense is going to suck. You know what I mean? There's a bunch of good players on this team. And uh, I'll tell you, Jack Lawson, I really liked him a lot. I thought he made a couple big plays. I thought Jordan Poyer, especially in the first half, was absolutely magnificent. Let's move on a couple things here before we get to like our game awards. I got a couple fallout notes from the game. Hold on though. Every every time you have like a Jordan Poyer compliment or something on Twitter, I always expect that to be followed up with like uh yo, uh, uh Rachel Bush, check your inbox, check your check your direct <laughs> messages. Let me get you on the pod. She's supposed to be on the pod, by the way. She is supposed to be on because she's got a thing coming up in Buffalo. We'll see how that plays out because all right. I, I, exactly. Yeah, she's told me three or four times that she's going to do the podcast and I don't hear from her again. So we'll see how that plays out. But anyway, getting back to this game, all right? A couple fallout items from it. All the Bills talk this entire 
summer pretty much has been about Cole Beasley, and he had five catches for 40 yards. All right, whatever. But it's John Brown's story to me, dude. Seven for 123, the game-winning TD. This guy looks like if he could stay healthy because he has had injury problems in the past, he could be in line to have a really big year on this offense. I like him a lot right now. Yeah, I mean, that was... There was a lot of buzz about Brown coming out of, you know, the early, early part of camp and, you know, into the preseason. He wasn't playing that much. So, you know, it kind of died down a little bit. People that weren't really paying a lot of attention to it still probably only saw Brown as, uh, you know, as the straight line speed. But somewhere along the way, like, I don't know, I'm, I'm not really big on the, uh, you know, the one Bills live and one Bills drive or whatever. But somewhere along the way, may have been Chris Brown. Who knows? I, I, I remember hearing how impressed the Bills were with Brown, not only from the perspective of his, uh, you know, of his straight line speed, but just as an overall, you, you know, route running and sure handed, you know, from what they had seen, like uh, just a little, maybe even a little bit surprised by it. And I think that's what we saw yesterday. You know, I, I think we saw a guy who can impact a football game in ways beyond, you know, going up and catching the ball uh, over the top. You know, Allen put a couple throws uh, in the right spot for him and he turned a, you know, a 12 yard crossing pattern into like a, a 20, 25 yard gain. I mean, that's yeah. big stuff, man. That's big, big stuff. That's also why I like, you know, I like the 10 to 15 yard, uh, you know, part of the route tree more than I like the five to 10 yard part of the route tree. But uh, anyways, I'm not a surprise because I had heard some good things about him. But, you know, to my eyes, you know, what I saw yesterday uh, certainly uh, verified much of what, you know, what was coming out of camp. And that will be great, man, because, you know, he is, uh, he, you know, we've got him for three if we want him for three. Can he be a one? Oh, I don't know, man. The ones in this league are pretty special freaking players these days. But if he's got the depth behind him, you know, may, may, maybe we don't have to have the, those bona fide ones that everybody lusts for. I'm not sure if he's a one. I'm not sure the Bills even consider any wide receiver a one, nor do they really care about it. And I'm not really, it's not that I'm surprised that he had a big game. My point was is that there's just been so much talk on Cole Beasley. It's been Beasley, 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 Beasley. Whereas if he could stay healthy, I think John Brown is going to be the receiver that has the most impact on the team this year. And, you know, speaking of those receivers, I was going to call, you mentioned him, Zay Jones, completely irrelevant. He mostly was, but he did have a big 20-yard catch in the second half that helped them. I think it was on their scoring drive, too. Not sure how many snaps Robert Foster even saw the field for. I know he had no targets. I'm looking right now. He actually, he was on the field for 15 snaps, but I certainly didn't notice him. My point is, it's pretty crazy that last year's best two wide receivers on this team are still here. But to me, it's like they're a complete afterthought for right now anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it pretty much went according to script, man. I mean, you look at every single person that the Bills picked up in the offseason, be it free agents or the draft or whatever. All right. This went according to script. And, and it was certainly true at the uh, at the wide receiver spot as well. I didn't even mention Devin Singletary one time this entire segment until now. Again, no carries in the first half, but he had 70 yards on just four carries in the second. I thought he looked great. He also caught five passes for 28 yards. You can very much see why 
based on this game. The Bills decided to move on from Shady and accelerate this kid. And we won't spend a lot of time talking about Shady because we can have an entire podcast just on that, especially the history of our segments involving LaShawn McCoy. But my point is, you could see why they want this kid on the field right now. And in the second half of that Jets game, I think we saw it. Yeah, you know, I mean, they were they were good runs. You can, well, first off, all right, you could have drove a bus through a couple of those holes, all right? Just, uh, to, to Dayball's credit, there were some well-designed running plays yep. in that second half that I would imagine were available because of, you know, those 17 straight throws in the first half. I mean, look, Dayball's no dummy, okay? He was setting things up. I, I understand that. I just didn't love, I just don't love the concept you know, for a, for a full game for them or, or long stretches of the game. But um, so Singletary, they put him in some advantageous spots, but that's what you do. That's what you do with a rookie. Put him in advantageous spots. Let him go out there, get the ball in his hand, break off chunks of 15 and 20 yards, get some confidence and, you know, help contribute to a win. It was a lot of fun to see. I'm going to reserve judgment a little bit on Singletary, because I feel like, you know, he, the play calls were really, really beneficial to him. I need him to catch that ball on that little smoke screen in the first half yeah. that was right on him, okay? Especially if he's going to be the third down back and not Yeldon, who only got like two snaps, okay? So I need I need a little bit. I need a little better, <laughs> all right? I, he, they did try to get him the ball a couple times in the first half. He had a bad drop. And if he's going to be the guy in there on passing downs, I, I need I need that ball to be caught. But, hey, man, I mean, I'm excited about him, too. There's no reason not to be excited about him. I completely agree with what you said, especially about the offensive line. They did open up a couple gaping holes, at least two or three of those four carries that he had. Again, you or I probably could have ran for 10 on them. I like Frank Gore more to be, I think, going forward as a situational guy. I think he's the guy who can get you – a yard on third and one, although apparently he's not the guy that could get you out of the end zone when you got it on your own one yard line. Hold on. Bad call let, me ask you, what? let me ask you this, though, about Gore, all right? Mm-hmm. Have you ever, ever been more confident handing the ball to somebody when the last thing in the yes. world you can afford is a fumble and just thinking to yourself, he ain't going to fumble it? Absolutely. He's Ray Gore. He ain't going to fumble it. Absolutely. I have never been more confident. All right. Like, cause I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking Bill's think, you know what I mean? Oh shit. Somebody's going to put this thing on the ground. And I just saw it being handed to Gore. And I'm just like, yeah, they, they ain't getting it from him. That's my yeah, point. Was, I agree with you, man. That's my point. He could be a short yardage guy. He might even start the game, get uh, the offense going a little bit. But yeah, when you're running that clock out, you got a lead. I trust him. You said it, man. I was a little more nervous about the snap with Morrison Allen. Once the ball touched Gore's abdomen, I'm like, this dude ain't fumbling <laughs> the ball. It's that was over. a weird. That was a weird feeling, man. That yeah. was a weird feeling to not be not be scared to death that someone was going to punch that football. Especially because it's Buffalo, and we've been trained for years yeah. to find ways to lose games. But I agree with you 100. percent Once Gore got the ball in his hands, I'm like, this dude is not going to give it up. Yeah. Quickly, the tight ends. Tommy Sweeney had a nice 29-yard catch. He caught two passes overall. Uh, Dawson Knox, he hasn't been back healthy for long, but they clearly have some trust in him. And Sweeney was, by the way, a seventh-round pick. I'm looking at the snap counts here. Knox had 37, Sweeney 22. I'll tell you, man, Tyler Croft better be pretty good when he's back because I like these rookies, and I think the Bills do too. 
Yeah, and, and I think they're going to be able, honestly, to to mix and match, uh, you know, with with what the week involves. Look, you know, Lee Smith, Lee Smith's probably going to be one and done in terms of. Although it might have been a two year contract, I don't know. But well, Lee Smith and Lee Smith has a role on this team that's completely separate from them. I don't think Lee Smith even cares about being. If he doesn't get a target the entire year, which he will, but even if he doesn't, he doesn't care. That dude just wants to block and be on this team. Yeah, he's got being. How long are they going to be able to carry, you know, right. to carry four, four tight ends? True. But I think this year, while two of them are um, are developing, you know, they, they will probably find, you know, the formula to keep all four. And, you know, one will just end up inactive every week, you know, whoever yeah. that whoever that one right. may be. But, yeah, I'm with you, man. Uncovering two potential tight ends that can play in this league, okay, um, in the third and seventh round, just a beautiful thing. No doubt. All right, let's get to our Buffalo Bills, New York Jets game awards. And let's start with MVP. Probably not an easy decision. Maybe not one standout player, but you got to give one out. So who's your game MVP? Super hard when it's such a team win like this, but I'll just turn to the stats and I'm going to go John Brown. Me too. Not much explanation needed. We already talked about him. What about the other end? LVP. Um, which admittedly, by the way, you said it, a good team win. This isn't so easy to do when you have a good team win, but that's the rules, man. So you got to have one LVP. Who would you have? Yeah, this is like really, really hard. I, I didn't even really give this a whole lot of thoughts. Tell me yours and I'll see if it jogs my memory a little bit. People probably won't agree, but I'm actually going to go with Cole Beasley, man. He had five catches for 40 yards, but it looked like he was going to have eight or nine catches. It, he was largely responsible for the pick six. And also, Josh Allen also threw, and it was on third down. He threw a kind of a rainbow throw that Beasley dropped. It would have been a first down. So he dropped two passes, and one of them yeah. were a pick that was six. A, that so was actually a decent throw. That was, was right on was his helmet, though. That, again, I'm not that was saying, like right on his yeah, helmet. Exactly. That was tough. And I'm not saying the guy played like garbage. He did have five catches. But Considering that he his drop led to a pick six and he dropped another pass, it would have been a first down. For that reason, I'm going to go with Cole Beasley. Yeah, th- that's not a bad one at all. I just had a thought while you were going through that. And this is super unfair, man, because I thought the offensive line played exceptionally well. But um, you can't take, uh, you, you, you know, you can't take points off the board in a, in a game that, you know, is decided by, you know, by less than a field goal. So, John Feliciano's uh, bonehead penalty uh, is all that I can all that I can lean on for an LVP. All right. What about an unsung hero? Somebody who maybe he's not the MVP of the game, but somebody who kind of quietly had a really good game. Uh, I would say Trent Murphy. Uh, if you looked at the snap counts today, he had the highest counts on the uh, on the defensive line. You know, unspectacular, but just steady. And it's nice to have him in, in that rotation now. All right, I'm going to cheat a little bit because I got two for you. One, Shaq Lawson pretty much has been written off. The Bills did not exercise his fifth-year option. So he's probably dead man walking in terms of his future here with the team. Having said that, though, I thought he was a big factor in the game. He had a sack. He had a nice stop on the run, too. Along with Trent Murphy, they don't lose much whoever's in there. I thought he played a very good game. So I definitely got Shaq Lawson. And then the other one is your boy from last year, our punter. Corey Bajorquez, three punts, 43.3 average yards per punt. Two of them were inside the 20. Listen, I would have bet my life this dude was not going to be 
on the roster last week after the preseason that he had. He was awful. I thought for sure they were going to get a punter in, and they tried out a couple before the game, and they didn't sign anybody. Now after this man, at least, at the very least, he's earned himself another week. He did. He, he did, and he got robbed one time when our when our uh, right. our gunners our gunners bit on the fake fair catch yep. at the nine and yep. let the ball let it go into the end zone because I believe it bounced you know somewhere close enough where they could have gotten you know if they had they read it right uh, I think they could have you know possibly even caught it in, caught it in the air absolutely for sure all three of his punts should have been down inside the twenty all right last one your single biggest takeaway. From this bill season opener. That the defense is as advertised. You know, I, I one of those guys that believes that defense can fluctuate quite a bit from from year to year. And I was nervous, you know, that they would have that same sort of look and feel, you, you know, as as they did with with the, you know, as last year's team. But, you know, my my single biggest takeaway is that we are correct in feeling as though the defense is elite. Mine is, and I agree with you, by the way, I think this team really legitimately is all in for each other. That's not just coach speak or words that you're reading quotes and articles. I think it's legitimately their culture. They ain't going to turn on each other when things are going bad. There's no finger pointing going on. That's not going to help them beat the New England Patriots or the Kansas City Chiefs of the world, but I think it's going to help them win a lot more of those winnable games and doing that is what ends up getting you into the playoffs, which I think for this team right now, getting to the playoffs, not winning a Super Bowl, I think that is the realistic goal. But I do. I really believe in the culture. And I know some people, especially on Twitter, will make fun of that term culture. But I truly believe that these players 100% buy into it. Well, you're going to have to just stay tuned for the uh, puck drop to get my response to that whole culture thing. All right, it's fair enough. So check it out. Before we go around the league quickly to put a wrap on this segment, before that, here's what I want to do right now. I want to try to find the Bills' 10 wins this year realistically and honestly, okay? I think for them to get to 10, they already got the home opener, or not the home opener. They went on the road to start the season against the Jets. I think it's critical, and again, we're speaking in a 10-win scenario here, that they go out and beat the Giants on the road next week. And then at home the following week is their home opener against the Cincinnati Bengals. Those are two, not just winnable games, but I think two extremely winnable games. So if they can start out 3-0 with those games right there, and let's just go ahead and give them a sweep over Miami, who basically, not basically, they literally are unofficially tanking this year, okay? So if you could beat Miami twice and start the season 3-0, there's five right there, okay? So that leaves you 11 games. And we need to find five wins out of those 11 games. That'll get you to 10 and six and not positively, but almost positively get you into the playoffs. So on that scenario, let's try to find five. Let's start with the remaining games and week four, New England. We're not going to give the bills. I don't think we're going to debate this much either. No, giving the bills a win over New England in week four, but now week five, it starts to get interesting. You're at Tennessee. Well, that looks tougher than it did. So, sure you know, um, I think if we were going to get them to 10 wins, um, I feel like a lot of people would have jumped on that one early. Now you start to see, you know, the games get played and you might not be as quick to jump on it. Let's come back to that one. Let's okay. uh, let's walk past that one. We've already counted the Miami game. Right. Um, Got Philly at home. 
That's a tough we're gonna, game. We're going to have to come back to that one. We're, we're going to give ourselves Washington. Yeah, I all agree. right. We're going to give ourselves Washington as one of the five. We'll, I think we're waiting on Cleveland. We've already included Miami. We're giving ourselves Denver as two of the five. Okay. So we'll give Denver. I'm yeah, I'm waiting on Cleveland. I'm not confident about them, but anyway. Okay. So we're at Dallas in week 13 Dude, Dallas. Look, we're going to skip Dallas. Yeah, we're going like to skip Roy. that one. I'm going to give us Baltimore. All right. I'm not going to skip that one. I'm going to, I'm going to say if we're getting to 10 wins, you're beating Baltimore at home. All right. So there's, there's the third of the five and then the jets, you know, to close the season out as, as I skip over Pittsburgh and new England becomes my fourth of the, uh, of the five that we're looking for. I would agree on week one that right now I would skip at Pittsburgh, but I just got a feeling that that team is not going to be good at all this year. I think they're a team that's going to end up having a losing record, but I'll agree with you on the road. As of right now, I would skip through them. All right, so here we go. So we got Washington at home, Denver at home, Baltimore at home, and the Jets at home. There's four. That means we'd have to either win at Tennessee or at Cleveland to get to 10. And that's, again, assuming that we get swept by New England, that we don't win at Dallas, that we don't win at Pittsburgh either. Yeah, and we're also talking about Philly here. You know, you're know, you also talking right. about a home game here True. to win. Look, uh, you know, it's super doable. Now, look, all right, we could completely be jumping the gun on 3-0. and Absolutely. Uh, we could completely be jumping the gun on 3-0 and because who the hell knows – if that Cincy, I mean that Cincy team lost to Seattle by one point yesterday on in, the road. in Seattle. Yeah, you know, and and I still believe that a, a second year quarterback on the road, even against a team that looks as as uh, poor as the Giants did yesterday, and as everybody expected them to be, just. Allen will lay an egg on the road this year. You just hope it's against a team like New England right. that you had no prayer of beating anyways. Right, right. Because if you if he lays an egg in a game that your roster, you know, that you expect to win because your roster is far superior elsewhere, you know, then you then you steal a loss from the jaws of a victory, and that's that's gonna hurt. That's that's gonna hurt. I agree, man. I agree a hundred percent, and. uh Look, at the end of the day, you got to beat the teams that you're supposed to beat. For a team like Buffalo, I think that's the key to making a legitimate playoff run. But sure, beating New England at home, I mean, it's not impossible, but it's very unlikely. Winning at Dallas, very unlikely. You can't count on them. Could it happen? Sure. But at the end of the day, for me, it's all about winning the games that you're supposed to win. And if they can win the games that we both think for those games, again, not counting those five, Washington, Denver, Baltimore, the Jets all at home, if they could just find one road win at Tennessee or at Cleveland, that could get them to, to 10 wins. Let's fly around the league. We'll wrap this up by flying around the league here. Got some uh, games from Sunday beyond Buffalo. Start with New England. Destroyed Pittsburgh 33-3. They, they don't need Antonio Brown, man. Brady's, you know, you could talk about Tom Brady and that offense, this and that, but that New England secondary might be the best in football, too. They're going to... They're for real. I mean, I'm not telling you something you don't already know, but they're they're really good, man. They're going to be fucking hard to beat this year. Well, yeah. I mean, we'll see. It, it, we'll have to see if if Pittsburgh is is really bad. That that could have just been uh, a week one kind of thing. I'm not. I'm not gonna. You know, I, I'm I'm not buying more stock 
on New England just based on that. I mean, I think everybody already has enough stock on New England, and and it's certainly going up with uh, you know with the addition of Antonio Brown. But that's that's just a one week thing where I'm gonna and and then they'll do it to Miami again. You know, this week. You know, we're gonna find out. We're gonna find out a little bit about them and us in in week four. Uh, I don't know who who New England has in between in week three, but we'll see. We'll see where that's at in in week four. I'm not. I'm not ready to put them at 14 or 15 wins just because of Brown and what I saw last night. And, and I think that is saying something because I think a lot of people are ready to put them at 14 or 15 wins. Well, they're going to get. They're going to be three and zero when they come into Buffalo because they're playing the Jets at home. In week three, I'll tell you quickly with Antonio Brown. I know it makes them better on paper, but I think that's the best chance for something to go wrong. Maybe somehow, some way it doesn't work out and he has a negative effect on that team because the team I saw last night, and by the way, not just last night, the team I seen on paper looks, well, I don't want to say unbeatable because there's the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC and, and the Chargers too, to a lesser extent, but maybe Antonio Brown has the opposite effect on him. Maybe he doesn't get enough passes. And he loses his shit after five or six weeks or, or something like that. I think that's the best chance for New England to have some issues because as, as they look right now, they're, they're not going there. Yeah, they are going to win 13 games. You see their schedule, dude? I know. I hear you. Yo, I'm, just, I'm sorry. I cannot get off of just my thoughts towards them coming to town in, in a few weeks. I cannot wait for our fans to have at Antonio Brown. And you know what though? It will probably embarrass ourselves just like we did when cap was here. We'll probably take it to a, you know, to a politically incorrect uh, level of taunting and, and whatever. Uh, And I don't mean to make light of that. Like that shit will piss me off, uh, you know, because that has no place, but boy, if we can just, if we can just keep it appropriate all right, and and not cross over, you know, into something that uh, that just is is completely socially in, uh, unacceptable. If we can keep it appropriate and basically not use words that we shouldn't use, all right. I just want the crowd to chew him up and spit him out, and I just I I mean, give me Jordan Poyer taking his head off. I don't care if it costs him fifteen. I'm talking going straight Vontez birth perfect or whatever on him. I just want Brown leaving that freaking stadium in a body bag <laughs> in, in, in three weeks. I hate the dude. I hate the dude. One last thing on that Pittsburgh, New England game. And this is another reason why I think Pittsburgh's going to stink this year. Mike Tomlin is the most overrated coach there is around. Seriously, all that talent on that roster that they've had for that five, six, seven-year run with Bell and Antonio Brown. No championships to show for it. Nothing. This guy's just not a good coach. And he also, I mean, what's up with his decisions? You're playing the New England Patriots on the road to open the season. He punts on fourth, and I think it was maybe three inches from his own 30 at one point. Go for it, man. He kicks a field goal from the goal line. They're down 20 nothing in the third quarter at New England, and you're kicking a field goal. Seriously. And then here's the worst thing. It's 33-3. to like two and a half, three minutes left. You're down 30 and you still got your starters in there and it hurt them, man. Juju Smith, Schuster got a toe injury. I don't know how serious it's going to end up being, but the point is he should have never been in there to begin with. Dude's just overrated. I can't stand him. You know what? And speaking of overrated, if there was ever a team that I feel like right now believes their own hype too much before even playing a game, it was definitely the Cleveland Browns. By the way, 
you know, everyone picked them to make the playoffs. Shit, man. On my podcast last week with Joe Marino, I actually predicted that they were going to end up in the AFC Championship game against New England. Anyway, they're at home. Dog pound. They go out, play Tennessee, and they got destroyed. Destroyed. 43-13. to They lost by 30. Not a good start for the Cleveland Browns. I was surprised when I when I heard last week when when I heard you uh, put them in the in the AFC I Championship. Into it. Game. I, apparently, they did too because they did not look like a team that's very good, man. They kind of remind me right now. I mean, granted, all right, I know we're overreacting. It's one week, but remember the Eagles team where they signed all those guys? They had Ben Young. It was supposed to be the dream team. I think yeah. they went six mm-hmm. and ten that year. Yo, that might be the Browns, man. If they if they don't start playing football and stop reading the newspaper headlines. Dude, I had no idea you picked them to go to the AFC Championship game. Um, <laughs> I know you don't even listen when you're on the podcast. You think I expect you to listen? When Look, I'm not. Else? I'm not. I'm not shocked. You know, I, I'm actually in a in one of those confidence uh, uh, pick pools on Yahoo. You know, I I, I don't know. I, I I maybe had Cleveland ten or eleven uh, out of the sixteen games. I, I thought it was possible that uh, that they could be one of those teams that's that's a lot of hype going in, but they'll find it, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll find their way in, unless, unless the job is just too big for Hitchens, you know, I think Cleveland will be okay, but I'm not shocked, you know, that a team with uh, a, a lot of buzz, you know, that, that hadn't proven anything yet. I, I'm not shocked to see them come out in week one and lay an egg. Yeah. I'll tell you in the NFC, I had New Orleans going to the Super Bowl, and I had them beating green Bay, an NFC championship. And Green Bay, to me, kind of reminds me a little bit of New England. They go out, they beat Chicago on the road, open the season. And I think the Packers are for real. But again, it's not just because of Aaron Rodgers, just like with the Patriots. It's not just about Tom Brady. I really like the Green Bay defense, man. It's Darius Smith, Preston Smith, two great additions. That defense is nasty. Aaron Rodgers don't got to throw for 5,000 yards and 38 touchdowns this year with that team. I like them a lot. Again, with with the week one stuff, I don't know how much of that was terrible offense by the Bears. You know, Rodgers, who goes against that defense every day in training camp, okay? Rodgers had a look in his eye like he was certain that they have a defense. Like he said it. I don't know if you you, you stay tuned in uh, after the telecast, but when, I don't know who it is, Tafoya or whatever, got him after the game. You know, two or three times he said the exact quote, we've got a defense now with like this big shit even grin on his face. Yeah, they, they do. I don't know. I mean, it was, Aaron, I, I mean, not that I wouldn't take your word for it after watching it, you know, one time. But I, I'm more intrigued by the fact that Aaron Rodgers certainly seems to think so. I'm reserving judgment because, you know, their Madden ratings aren't that great. So I, I, I'm not quite sure what they've got there. Well, let's not hold off judgment here, dude. Miami Dolphins are taken. There's, there's the report, no judgment. They already to be got held. reports. Vet, veteran players already are leaking. Their agents are already leaking into pro football talk. Some of these vets, they want out already after one game. Baltimore killed them. I think they put up 59. Lamar Jackson, 324 yards and five touchdowns in the air. It's it very well might be the team, all right, that every league points to uh, as to why they revamped their their draft process. This is going to be an embarrassment to the NFL and to professional sports. Couple more things: Kansas City Chiefs picking up right where they left off last year. 
dropping 40 on the road at Jacksonville, who I thought were going to be much better this year. The quarterback that they went out and got, Nick Foles, already hurt, broken collarbone. Not sure how long he's going to be out for, maybe the season. I have no idea. But regardless, it's quite apparent, at least to me, that Jacksonville is going to stink again. Meanwhile, on the other end, again, Patrick Mahomes looks just like the MVP that he was last year. And by the way, how about Sammy Watkins, man? Nine catches, 198 yards, three touchdowns. I mean, look, in the AFC, it's New England and it's Kansas City. We're headed towards another AFC championship game, same as last year. Uh, I thought Jacksonville was had a chance to win that game yesterday. I haven't seen any highlights from it. I've only seen the score and the stats. But yes, it looks like the Chiefs are ready to, you know, ready to have the same sort of season as they had last year. Again, with the, um, you know, with the asterisks of it being only one week. Last thing here, okay, and I don't think this is overreacting. This is years in the making. This take right here. I live here. I watch most of their games. I'm telling you right now, Jameis Winston sucks. All right? Not one, but two pick sixes in the same game. The second one, I have no idea where the hell he was throwing the ball. This dude might be the most overrated player in the entire NFL. He is trash. I cannot believe that Tampa Bay continues to put this guy out there. I thought Arians would make a uh, an impact on him. He certainly did not do it through one week. You could say that one week shit, dude. He sucks, all right, period. I don't care who his quarterback. I don't care who the coach is. I'm telling you, this guy's trash. If people think in Buffalo like Josh Allen, you got issues with him, shit. I'm telling you right now. I don't. I would take Josh Allen 100 times out of 100 over Jameis Winston, and I don't know anybody who would disagree with that. Yeah, man, I, I don't watch him much. Uh, I'll, I'll take your word for it. I did not watch as many highlights, you know, as I probably will by the end of this week. But I, I, I will look for his his terrible week one throws so that I can I can bring it I can bring it back up the next time we talk in week eleven. That's funny. All right, so a trademark when we do Pat with Pucks is you went in the segment with your final take, which we like to call the puck drop. What do you got today? Uh, you know, we, we could have flowed right into the puck drop probably three or four times during the course of, uh, uh, of our chat today. A, a lot of it had to do with, you know, takeaways from, from yesterday's game on a much, on a much broader perspective. And, and, you know, I said at one point that I really feel like, you know, wins and losses in the NFL are, you know, a product of a lot of things you know, happening behind the scenes. And, you know, I, I'll give you a little insight into where I'm going with this. The Bills caught a lot of bad publicity or or maybe just kind of, you know, were the brunt of some jokes when they bought, brought in Frank Gore and paired him with, with LaShawn McCoy, formed the, the oldest uh, running back tandem in the league. But let me tell you something, man, okay? There was a plan at that position all along. And the plan may not have necessarily included Devin Singletary. You know, it could have been Singletary or Montgomery from the Bears or, you know, probably as many as five potential candidates. But Brandon Bean is always one or two steps ahead from what, you know, people are looking at in the news and commenting on that day. They were going to draft a young running back and they were going to have 
one of the all-time most effective and professional running backs in the history of the NFL tutor that new player. Okay, that was a plan from the jump, and Shady was never in it. Now, this isn't about Shady. This is about Brandon Bean's ability to plan ahead and build a roster that, frankly, was every bit the reason that they're 1-0 right now as anything else that happened on the field. We talked about C.J. Mosley going out of the game and the effect that it had uh, on the rest of that, that Jets defense. Name the player that that happens to on the Buffalo Bills. All right, Now, you might be able to say Tremaine Edmonds in a year or two, or you might reach and say a guy like Tremaine Edmonds right now, but you know, they are not built around that one player, man. They are built on every level. You take the Jets, you've got the stud at the uh, on the line in the, amongst the backers and in the secondary, all right? You look at the Bills, and they may not have that one stud at each one of those levels. Well, at least not right now. But they have 11 guys, all right, and, and depth at those spots that can go out and and win a football game. And they were built that way by a guy who probably has as good a vision for turning around a cap situation, okay, and an underachieving franchise in harmony with his head coach as certainly we have ever seen in Buffalo, if not as good a vision towards rebuilding a roster as you've seen in the NFL right now where it didn't take all right a full-blown Cleveland or what Miami's doing right now to do I believe and I and I held back okay I held back big time when we went and tried to find 10 wins all right and I held back big time when you asked me what I think this says about this team this team is is built as well as any in the NFL right now, and it is entirely coming down to quarterback. I think he's good enough. You're out there. People are out there trying to find those 10 wins or putting themselves out there to say that, you know, this team can win 10 wins. I'm taking it a step further. All right. I am putting this team at 11 and five. That's the puck drop. Hi. My name is Matt Kundal, and this portion of the Moranolytics podcast is powered by my company, MattKundalVoice.com. If you need a voice for your company videos, narration, e-learning, maybe it's your radio or TV ad, or even your phone system, consider using my voice to tell your story. I'm not only a sponsor of this podcast, I'm also a regular listener, wrestling fan, and longtime supporter of the Buffalo Bills. For more, check out MattKundalVoice.com or click on the link in the show notes. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for this episode. Thanks again to my man, longtime buddy, Tone Pucks, Pat Wood Pucks. You know what? That's always been one of my favorite things to do on this podcast. We've been friends forever, well over 30 years now. We bust each other's balls all the time. But at the end of the day, always fun to hook up with Tone Pucks, man. Hopefully, I'll be able to do Pat Wood Pucks segments more regularly, certainly during the NFL season. I feel like Tone brings a lot of good takes to the table, especially when it comes to the Buffalo Bills. I enjoy listening to them. Hopefully you do as well. Before I get out of here, I do want to ask that if you enjoy listening to this podcast, that you will please go ahead and subscribe to it. 
I know for some people out there, podcasts are still relatively new and perhaps you're a little bit weary, but subscribing to a podcast is totally free and it's totally easy. There's also benefits to subscribing to a podcast, mainly that when you subscribe, you're going to get brand new episodes before anyone else does. That's just one benefit of subscribing. Like I said, it's really easy. You got an iPhone, just open it up. That purple app that says podcast on it. Open that up. Type in Moranalytics Podcast in the search box. Hit subscribe. That's it. That's all you got to do. And if you don't have an iPhone, an Apple phone or whatever, you can also find us on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Citrus, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Got new episodes every Tuesday. Also every Friday. Also, by the way, don't forget rate and review the podcast only takes like 10 20 seconds i say it all the time during this part as we're closing here and i say it because it really helps me grow this podcast tremendously and last but not least as i go down my list of asking you things to do for me go ahead and follow me on twitter at pamaran tweets constantly tweeting out podcast updates upcoming guests polls all kinds of other stuff again that's at pamaran tweets thanks again for listening to this podcast. I mean it, man. I truly appreciate each and every single one of you that take time from your day and give me a listen, whether it's in your car on the way to or from work, at the office, at the gym, home, wherever it may be, man. I'm so grateful, so appreciative, and so thankful. Have a good week. Be back. Brand new episode on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.